If you'd turn with me to Romans chapter 1, appreciate it if you have your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Ricardo, since you didn't expect to come in, maybe, uh, or Alyssa, if you could share with him. Great. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do come before you now asking that you might continue to help us understand your word, that you might illumine our hearts and minds, that we will see it, And we will love it, Lord. Help us to be those whom are students of your word, who understand it, and Lord, who receive it with a repentant heart, and Lord, who receive it with a joyful heart. That's your name we pray this. Amen. Well, um, I I wanted to say something before I jump into the body of the sermon, and, and that's that it, you know, here we are, third week going on these Thursday nights, and it's such a joy for, for us that you all come and participate in this with us and worship with us, and um, it, it's, it's a great thing to lead worship, and, and I, when I say that, I include everything from the preaching and the music and the praying to lead worship, and it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's a whole lot better when people are there to be led, right? <laughs> and uh, it's, so it's a joy that you guys are here with us and worshiping with us, and um, just the fact that you offer your time on a Thursday night when you have so many things going on, um, is is just a blessing to us, and we're thankful for it. Um, Hopefully, as we progress down this road and get to the point where we have a meeting in October, um, and as you're assessing how God is bringing you along in this process with us um, and praying about that, hopefully when we get there and you see the vision that that we have and where we want to go and and the plan, and as we interact and talk about those things, um, most of you will be on board, I'm hoping or that you'll be inviting and sending people who you think would be excited about it, and um, that we'll be having that discussion and talking about it. We're looking forward to that day to just kind of say, here's what we're about. But I'm hoping, more than anything else, that during the service, we're communicating to you, in large part, what we're really about. I mean, I know that that night we're going to stand up and give you all of these values and all of these, you know, this is our timeline and this is what we're, our mission is and this is what we're driving after. But I'm hoping that it's already being communicated to you non-verbally in the way that we're running our worship services, in what our focus is. You know, I hope that throughout my sermons and throughout everything I do, that you see that I am dead serious, and I know the guys are extremely serious about the fact that we exist to declare the glory of Christ in all things, for the joy of all people. That's what we exist for. I hope that's clear. I hope you guys are picking that up. That's what we're after. 
So um, let me ask you a question. I digress. Let me turn back to the sermon. Have you ever partaken in something? You know, you just partook in something that was so great it caused you to not want anything else. That sound, sounds like a straight statement, I know, or question. You know, perhaps you had a hamburger at a restaurant that was so good that you were just ruined from having a hamburger anywhere else. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's just like, man, I had a hamburger here, and I am just ruined from having a hamburger anywhere else now. Is that right, Bo? Yeah, I, <laughs> it's true, okay. I was just giving an example. But let me give you a few other examples. When I first had fish and chips at Westchester Bowl, I was ruined for having fish and chips anywhere else. I go to the beach from then on out, it's like, why order fish and chips? They're better in Bakersfield at Westchester Bowling Alley. It's just a waste of my money. Or when we took a family trip to Disneyland last year, we were kind of ruined for any other family trip. I know Disneyland, you know, everybody goes to Disneyland. We had such a great time. It was like, let's just reschedule that trip every year. Just forget about any other kind of vacation. It ruined us for everything else. And we can speak about it. We can speak about that in trivial things, but I think we can also speak about that in more important issues. For example, when I was in college at 18 years of age, and I was walking across campus one day, just you know, your normal teenage boy, looking around at all the teenage slash early 20s girls. I spotted Teresa, and, and then I talked to Teresa. And after I got done talking with her, I was ruined for every other girl. It was over. It was like there's all these other girls walking around campus, and I can only see one. None of the rest of them mattered to me anymore. I was done. She was it. Probably for me, though, even more dramatic than that was one year when I went down to a Ligonier conference. I was invited, if you guys know what a Ligonier conference is, it's R.C. Sproul and some other big theologians, John MacArthur, I don't remember who else was there. There were several guys, um, you know, that were there. Sinclair Ferguson was there. And they were talking about the love of God and specifically the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, their desire to glorify one another and to love one another by creating a people and redeeming them during that conference. And I was sitting there, and for the first time in my life, I understood the depth of God's love and the depth of God's grace. And I was blown away. My heart caught fire. It was an all-consuming passion for me from that point forward to want to do nothing else but study and proclaim what I was learning in Scripture. It was it. I was ruined for anything else. Up until then, I thought I was going to be a teacher in a school. I thought I might be a politician I had no idea that on that one weekend, I was going to hear the word proclaimed and my heart was going to catch fire and I was going to want nothing else but to study it and proclaim it to other people and that I would be ruined for everything else. You see, when we are captured by God's grace, uh, I want you guys to understand this. When we are captured by God's grace, we are ruined for everything else. We see this most clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. When God opened Paul's eyes to the truth, Paul's whole life direction changed. Whole life direction. He was ruined for everything else. Until that day when Jesus appeared to Paul, he was a zealous Pharisee, right? Persecuting the church of God. 
And then he saw Christ. And he understood the grace of God. And he wanted nothing else. He was ruined for all other dreams and hopes and aspirations that he previously chased after. He just wanted to proclaim Christ. His own life didn't matter to him. It's what he wanted. Well, today I want to look at Paul's conversion and calling, and you say, well, we looked at Paul's conversion last week some. Yes, we did, but I want to look at it specifically in light of what came out of it, which is his calling to be an apostle. So I want to look at Paul's conversion and calling first. Second, I want to look at God's eternal plan for Paul. And third, I want to look at God's eternal plan to capture us with his grace and ruin us for everything else. That's, that's what I want to look at. Look with me at Romans 1. Again, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Last week, we talked about how Paul understood that he was a slave or a servant of Christ, right? We talked about how he understood that there was honor and humility in being a slave or a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul was proclaiming to us who he understood his master to be. In saying, I'm a servant or a slave of Christ, I am saying to you, my master is Jesus Christ. After he tells us who his master is, the next thing he jumps into is what his office is. So last week he told us, I'm a servant, my master is Christ. Now we're going to be looking at the next two things he says. I'm called to be an apostle. This is my office. This is what I have been called to do. Why is it important that we understand Paul's an apostle? I mean, why say that at the beginning of a letter? If you've read Paul's letters, you'll find that Paul says a lot of hard things to the church, right? And to all the churches he writes to, not just to Rome. He writes some hard things to the churches. And if those people who are receiving those letters in those churches do not understand when they're receiving it that this is not the words of a man, but these are the words of an apostle, one who is sent by God and authorized and commissioned to bring the word of God, they will not receive the message in the way that God intends them to. And Paul knows that. So he makes it real clear right from the get-go. I'm an apostle. I'm one of those men upon whom the church is founded. Right? Ephesians 2.20. The prophets and the apostles are the what? Foundation of the church. Christ is its cornerstone. So he makes this clear. I'm an apostle. And he is stressing in this, not that he's called himself to be an apostle, but that God has called him to be an apostle. He wants you to know, called what? To be an apostle. Not I chose to be an apostle. Not I pursued being an apostle. I was called to it. God called me out for this. This is something God did in me. He called me. He set me apart. He did this in me. Look down at verse 5 in this same passage. He goes on and gives us description about Jesus and the gospel, which we're going to be going into um, in the next few weeks. But he says this in verse 5. Speaking of Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, Through whom? By the, the whom is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. Or the grace of apostleship is probably a better way of translating that. We receive the grace of apostleship. He understands that this is something he's received. It is something God has given to him. It is not something he pursued after. It is not something he claimed for himself. He received it. Well, two questions I think need to be answered then. If 
being an apostle is an office that Paul's been called to receive. The question is, what is an apostle? And how did Paul become one? I mean, I've stated he's called it received. What does that look like? What is an apostle and how did he become one? First, apostle generally means sent one. Generally, the term means to be sent or a sent one. That's what it generally means. Sometimes it refers to people other than the 13 apostles of the New Testament. You say, 13 apostles? Yeah, there were 12 Jewish apostles, right? Or apostles to the Jews. And then there was one to the Gentiles, and that was Paul, right? The 13th apostle. But sometimes that term apostle pops up, even in this book, in chapter 16, we'll get there eventually. It pops up as, an, a, ter- as a term used more generally, more generally of everybody. But in this case, Paul's using it more specifically when he says apostle. He's talking about the kind of apostle um, that speaks of these 13 who are the foundation of the church. He's speaking of an office he's been given. So then the question becomes, what separates apostles from all the other disciples? Because you've heard the word disciple, you've heard the word apostle, and we hear those words used, and what separates the two? Well, there's three things I want to talk about. One, they're chosen by Jesus. Look at Luke. Keep your finger there, by the way, on Romans. But look at Luke chapter 6. Apostles are chosen specifically by Jesus. And they're chosen from out from among other disciples. Luke chapter 6. Speaking of Jesus, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray... And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples. This is Jesus. He's out praying, calls in all his disciples. Now look at the change of word, words. And chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And it begins to name them. They were called out. They were chosen by Jesus Christ himself. That is a qualification of being an apostle. Jesus has to choose them. This is why we know we do not have any apostles anymore. We do not have them today because Jesus is not going around the earth nowadays choosing them out. These men were apostles. They were chosen. Second, they must have seen the resurrected Christ. Not only to be chosen by Jesus, they have to have seen Jesus in his resurrection. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And starting in verse 21, we'll look there. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. They've just talked about how Judas Iscariot has killed himself. And so Judas was one of the 12 apostles. They have to replace him. And so in verse 21, they go about the business of replacing him. And listen to what they say. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. We have to choose someone who knew Jesus while he physically ministered on earth and saw him resurrected. It's a qualification. They have to have seen the resurrected Christ and interacted with him and been taught by him. That was a qualification. Third, they must have their authority attested to by miraculous signs. Not only have to be chosen, not only have to have seen the resurrected Christ, interacted with him, because there were some people who saw the resurrected Christ who weren't apostles, right? Yeah, more than 500. And there were some people 
who walked with Christ throughout his life that were not chosen to be apostles, right? The third thing is they must have their authority attested to by miraculous signs. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12, Paul tells us this. The signs, you guys all know what a sign is, right? A sign tells you something. It points to something else and says this is it, right? It marks something. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Listen, the signs of a true apostle are signs and wonders and mighty works. So Paul wants to make it clear that is a mark of an apostle. In that passage, he's dealing with those who are calling themselves super apostles, claiming to be superior to all the apostles that came before them. And Paul's making it clear, listen, one of the ways you're going to know if it's an apostle is if they perform these signs and wonders and mighty works. And they're not doing that. They're false. These are three things that require. So how did Paul become one then? How did Paul become one of these men? Look first at Acts 26. Acts 26. No, I've got you jumping all over the place today. But Acts 26. I read this account to you last week. And I read it to you trying to help you understand how Paul went through this conversion experience in which he went from being a persecutor of the church and of Christ to being a servant of Christ and the church. Now I want you to understand it from the perspective of how Paul sees himself being called out. I want you to see that because that's also here in this passage. He sees himself being called out. He's being called to the Gentiles. And that happens in this passage. And he sees the resurrected Christ in this passage. Look at verse 12. He's before King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 12. And it says this, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Now listen. Why do I appear to you for this purpose? To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, Paul was chosen by Jesus. Jesus came to him. The resurrected Christ appeared to him and called him out and chose him and said, I'm appointing you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's how the conversion occurred. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, he mentions that he sees the resurrected Christ. And you don't have to turn there. Um, I will real quickly. In verse 1, he says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And he says this, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
So he's stressing this idea that I have seen the resurrected Christ. Not only have I been chosen by him, I've seen him. You know I'm an apostle. I've met two of those. And then the 2 Corinthians 12 passage, by the way, where the other mark of an apostle is, he's speaking of himself. In verse 11, he says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. He's talking about himself. Look, I'm nothing. I'm certainly not like those super apostles out there. But you know what? The signs and wonders and mighty works were performed through me. You know I'm the real thing. Paul qualified in every area. He understood his conversion was directly linked to his calling. He understood that. That Christ, when he came to him and captured him, he said, now I'm calling you out to do this, to go here. To, and for Paul, specifically, it was to be an apostle. That's only true for 13 people, by the way. Right? Him being one of them. He was called specifically to be an apostle. Understanding that, I want to turn really to the idea of God's eternal plan for Paul. Because there's something that goes even deeper than this. We see Paul's conversion and his understanding of his conversion and his calling, that he is an apostle. But there's something that goes even deeper than his understanding that he was called by God to be an apostle. Look at Romans chapter 1 again. He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Not only does Paul tell us who his master is, Jesus, and not only does he tell us what his office is, an apostle, he also tells us what his purpose is. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. My master is Christ, my office is an apostle, and my purpose is I'm set apart for the gospel of God. That's what I exist for. He understands that, and he uses this interesting word, set apart. Do you guys know what the word Pharisee means, or what word group it's from? Anybody know? The word Pharisee, or the word group it's from, is the same word that he uses here for set apart. See, Paul called it, he was a Pharisee, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was set apart. He had set himself apart for the law and for the traditions of men. So now when he goes to using this term, he understands exactly what he's doing. As a Pharisee, I was set apart. I had set myself apart for the law and for the traditions of men. And you know what? God came and set me apart for himself. And he draws a contrast. God has set me apart. I tried to set myself apart to keep the law and to keep the traditions of men, to walk on the side of the street that was the opposite side of the street from all those sinful people. And you know, that was bogus. God is the one who came and set me apart. He's the one who did it. He um, says, in fact, that he was set apart for what? For something, right? I wasn't set apart from something, those sinful people. I was set apart unto something or for something. I was set apart for the gospel of God. That is a very big distinction. It is one thing to be set apart from something. I'm set apart from the world. I'm set apart from 
in this case, the traditions of men, and I'm doing this all myself. Paul understood that at one day God came and said, you are now set apart for the gospel. As you pursue that, as you understand that calling, you will what? Naturally not participate in the worldly behaviors. Now, by naturally, I know that's a strange word. I do not mean that you have completely completely done away with any fallenness and corruption in your flesh when you're in Christ. I do not mean that. What I mean by that is when you are pursuing Christ as your only hope, you will not at the same time be pursuing sin. You will not. When you start pursuing sin is when you stop pursuing Christ with all you have, isn't it? So he says that. And he says this in verse 5 when he's explaining himself in chapter 1. He says of Christ, that Christ has set him apart. He's been set apart through Christ. And he says this, we have received grace and apostleship. So you know that we there is an editorial plural. And that's a strange word. They call it an epistolary plural, an editorial plural. It's a, um, it's a convention in Greek grammar, Greek writing, that you may use even though you are expressing I, even though you're saying something singular about yourself. Paul more than once uses the editorial plural, by the way. Sometimes we use it, right? Did you ever tell somebody or read something where somebody says, we think this or we do this, and really you're talking about yourself, right? The Greeks also used it, and Paul's using it here, and he's using this editorial plural speaking of himself, and he says, I received the grace of apostleship. We read this grace and apostleship, and those two terms can really be separated, but I think they're better brought together because what Paul is doing is he's saying, when I received the grace of God in salvation, at the same time, I received the grace of God unto apostleship. I received the grace of God in gifting to service. And we know this when you go to Romans 12 and you start hearing about the gifts that God gives us for service, he calls, it a, he calls it God giving you what? Grace. And he gives different grace for gifting to different people. But Paul understands those two things cannot be disconnected. When I came to Christ, when God arrested me with his grace in conversion, at the same time he did that, he called me to serve him, and he extended to me the grace in the gifting necessary to carry it out. He understands that. In fact, um, so that we can see that Paul understands that this is all the work of God in his life, I want you to see how he starts all these other letters with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. And if you can't keep up with my turning, that's okay. You can listen. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Called by the will of God, not by his own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, again begins this way, saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. He gets even more specific and says this, Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Colossians 
chapter 1, verse 1, in case you're not getting the point. Right after Philippians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. First and second Timothy, of course, go on to do the same thing when Paul writes to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. There's a great statement. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Again and again and again, he addresses himself as an apostle that is called where by whom? God. He's not set himself apart for this. God has set him apart for this. And he understands that. And I think more importantly, he understands that by, being, by speaking this way, he's talking as if he's a prophet from the Old Testament. I want to make a connection there that I want you guys to understand. He's talking in the kind of language that a prophet in the Old Testament would use when he speaks of being called out by God. In Jeremiah chapter 1, and this is one I want you to go to. Hold your hand in Romans chapter 1. Jeremiah is right between Isaiah and Lamentations. And Paul draws something out in this passage, or excuse me, Jeremiah says something that Paul then draws out later on what you sh- I want to show you that explains to us something about the nature of Paul's understanding of his calling and how it goes beyond just God calling him out. But it goes all the way to the point of him understanding that not only did God call him, but God did this calling. And God planned this before he was born. This is something God planned in eternity for him. Look what it says in verse 4 of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Tremendous statement, by the way. Before you were even conceived, God says of you, I knew you. It goes on. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Here's the language Jeremiah is using that the Lord is speaking to him. Before you were born, I knew you, Jeremiah. And I appointed you to do this task before you were born. I set you apart for this. This is nothing of you. This is all by my grace. And Paul's understanding this. In fact, he goes to Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1. Turn there. Paul picks up on this language. And he says this. Galatians 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Paul's going to say about his former life. And then the comment that follows directly on the heels of his comment about his former life astounds me. It says this in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age 
among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me, who called me by his grace, was to be pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Listen to this language. Paul says, I was a man who was zealous, persecuting the church of God. I lived my life zealous to be a Pharisee, to set myself apart for the law of God and the traditions of men that were around at that point in time. I lived my life that way, and I lived my life zealous to persecute God's church. Then he says, but before I was born, God called me. God set me apart to be an apostle. Is that astounding? Why, God, do you let me go through all this life of sin? All this life that is so directed in an opposite way from you. Completely consumed with myself, completely consumed with what I want, even mocking you when I don't want what you want. You let me go through all that because before there was time, you appointed me to be an apostle. Doesn't that sound like a crazy statement? You let me become a persecutor of the church of God because before there was time, you separated me and set me apart to be an apostle. You knew through all of that that you were weaving something together in my life that was going to form a picture that I had no idea what it would be so that I might be one of the mightiest apostles who writes two-thirds of the New Testament who claims these glorious things where he says... I am the chief of sinners. And who understands the gospel at such a depth that he gives it to us in this book in Romans for 11 chapters, phrase after phrase after phrase. He enlightens our hearts and our minds to what the gospel is. And he understands it in its depth. And he knows it's not of him. And he knows it's completely of God. And he knows he did none of it. And you know why he can write that way and preach that way and pray that way and worship that way because God took him through all that and set him apart before he was born to go through all that to lead him to this. That was God's plan in Paul's life. That was it. That's what he had for him. Before there was time, it was God's eternal plan to save Paul and to call him to his work. Now listen, I want, I want you to understand this. If you are one of his, he chose you before you were born. Understand that? Before you were born. And he took every moment of your life and he brought them together so that he could perfectly and unfailingly call you to be his own and extend to you the grace necessary to serve him you see god's eternal plan is to capture us with his grace and to ruin us for everything else 
That is eternal plan. Capture us with his grace and ruin us for everything else. Before you were born, God numbered your days. He numbered the hairs on your head. He knew what you would do and he knew what you would say. And he planned to redeem you from your sin. And he planned the works for you to do. And he planned when he would call you out to do them. He knew the day he would capture you and ruin you for everything else. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is like the gospel in 10 verses right here in this passage. And I wanted to turn you to it because I want you to see Paul starts off with our state of death and sin. And he says this, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You hear that? He states specifically, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. That's where you were. That's dead. There was no life in you. And he goes on, he says, talking about his salvation. And um, R.C. Sproul made the comment that these two words at the beginning of verse 4 is favorite two words in the Bible. But God. You were dead. But God. Did what? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? We're dead in our sins. That's where our state is in unbelief. But God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive. And he seats us in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Why? So he can show us his immeasurable riches. Verse 8. How is this received? Verse 8. It's received only by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. By the way, this is a demonstrative pronoun. It's a near demonstrative pronoun. A far demonstrative pronoun is that. A near demonstrative pronoun is this. Follow me? And pronouns have to point back to what? Nouns, right? They're usually attached to a noun. This is in the neuter. That's its gender. It doesn't have one. Grace and faith are both in the feminine. One of the rules of Greek is that your pronoun 
has to be the same gender as the noun it attaches to. So what's this? The grace or the faith? Even salvation is feminine here. So what is it? You go back in the paragraph. Can't find anything in the neuter. You know what it is? Grace, salvation by grace through faith. That's all the gift. All of it. Salvation is the gift. The fact that it's by grace is the gift. The fact that it's through faith is the gift. Faith is itself a gift God gives to you. It is not your own doing. You don't do any of it. You don't generate the grace. You don't generate the faith. You don't save yourself. God does it all. It's all a gift. Not by works. Why? So that no man may boast. Verse 10. Why does he do all this? He saves us by grace, but he saves us to something. You're saved by grace through faith to something. Paul does not make a disconnect between salvation and living your life out before God. He doesn't make a disconnect. He brings those two things together. In verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hear that? God came and grabbed a hold of us by his grace so that we could walk in these works, so that we could do these good deeds that what? He prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He set us apart before we were born. He called us out when it was time and gifted us to go do this, to go serve him. When Paul was captured by God's grace, he was ruined for everything else. Ruined for everything else. And we're, when we're truly captured by God's grace, so will we be. We will be ruined for everything else. And we're not all going to be prophets like Jeremiah, nor are we going to be apostles like Paul. We'll not all be pastors and teachers. God gives a different grace and gifting to each person. And he's not going to call you to something he doesn't gift you for. And he will always gift you for whatever he calls you to. But I can say this, regardless of what it is that God has set you apart for, as far as your role in his body and what he's gifted you for, regardless of what it is, however he's called you and however he's gifted you, I can guarantee it's all for the same purpose. It's the same purpose Paul's calling and gifting had. To proclaim the gospel of God. That's what it's for. Why? As believers, we are called to proclaim the gospel of God for the obedience of faith among all nations for the sake of his name. Hear that? Ultimately, everything we do is for the sake of his name. God created us to make his name famous. God redeems us to make his name famous. God gifts us in ministry to make his name famous. God empowers us each day to go through that day to make his name famous among all the nations. 
And we need to be faithful to that. Whatever our role is in it, we need to understand that that's what we exist for. That's what we've been called and set apart for, to proclaim the glories of God. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to capture us by your grace and ruin us for everything else. I pray that our hearts and minds would be continually transformed by your word. And Lord, that we might understand that there is nothing in all of this that we've done. You've done it all. Lord, that you, the great God of this universe, knew us before we were even formed in our mother's wombs. You knew us intimately and personally. Lord, you made plans for us. And you brought them to be. Lord, and in your timing, those of us who are believers here, you called us out by your grace. You set us apart for your gospel. And Lord, you gifted us to do what it is in that body of Christ that you've called us to. Lord, but all of it ultimately leads to the same purpose that Paul proclaims in Romans 1.1, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Lord, he is set apart for your gospel, and so are we. And he was set apart to bring the obedience of faith in all nations for the sake of your name, and so are we. Lord, might we be faithful to making your name famous, to proclaiming you. Lord, let that come from hearts that are overwhelmed by the love and grace that you've shown to us when we were dead in our sin by making us alive together with Christ and seating us in the heavenlies with him and showing us the immeasurable riches of your grace. Let us be so captured by that that we are ruined for everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to participate in communion now. And if you would...